Animal Farm. By the late summer, the news of what had happened on Animal Farm had spread across half the county. Every day, Snowball and Napoleon sent out flights of pigeons whose instructions were to mingle with the animals of neighboring farms, tell them the story of the rebellion, and teach them the tune of Beasts of England. Most of this time, Mr. Jones had been sitting in the hat room of the Red Lion at Willingdon, complaining to anyone who would listen of the monstrous injustice he had suffered in being turned out of his property by a pack of good-for-nothing animals. The other farmers sympathized, sympathized in principle, but they did not at first give him much help. At heart, each of them was secretly wondering whether he could somehow turn Jones's misfortune to his own advantage. It was lucky that the owners of the two farms, which adjoined Animal Farm, were, per- were on permanently bad terms. One of them, which was named Foxwood, was a large, neglected, old-fashioned farm, much overgrown by woodland, with its pastures worn out and its hedges in disgraceful condition. Its owner, Mr. Pilkington, was an easygoing gentleman farmer who spent most of his time in fishing or hunting according to season. The other farm, which was called Pitchfield, was smaller and better kept. Its owner was a Mr. Frederick, a tough, shrewd man, perpetually involved in lawsuits with a name for driving hard bargains. These two disliked each other so much that it was difficult for them to come to any agreement, even in defense of their own interests. Nevertheless, they were both thoroughly frightened by the rebellion on Animal Farm and were very anxious to prevent their own animals from learning too much about it. First, they pretended to laugh to scorn the ideas of animals managing a farm for themselves. The whole thing would be over in a fortnight, they said. They both put it about that the animals on Manor Farm uh, were perpetually fighting among themselves and were also rapidly starving to death. When time passed and the animals had evidently not starved to death, Frederick and Pilkington changed their tune and began to talk with the terrible wickedness that now flourished on Animal Farm. It was given out that the animals there had practiced cannibalism, tortured one another with red-hot horseshoes, and had their females in common. This was what came of the rebel- rebelling against the laws of nature, Frederick and Pilkington said. However, these stories were never fully believed. Rumors of a wonderful farm where the human beings had turned out and the animals had managed their own affairs continued to circulate in vague and distorted forms. And through it yet, that year, wave of rebelliousness ran through the countryside. Bulls, which had always been tractable, suddenly turned savage. Sheep broke down hedges and devoured the clover. Cows kicked the pail over. Hunters refused their fences and shot their riders onto the other side. Above all, the tune and even the words of Beast of England were known everywhere. It had spread with astonishing speed. The human beings could not contain their rage when they heard the song, though they pretended to think it was merely ridiculous. They could not understand, they said, how even animals could bring themselves to sing with such contemptible rubbish. Any animals caught singing, it was given to flogging on the spot, and yet the song was irrepressible. The blackbirds whistled it in the hedges. The pigeons cooed it in the elms. It got into the din of the smithies and the tune of the church bell. And when the, humans be- when the human beings listened to it, they secretly trembled hearing in it a prophecy of their future doom. Early in October, when the corn was cut and stacked and some of it was already fresh, a flight of pigeons came whirling through the air and alighted in a yard of Animal Farm in the wildest excitement. 
Jones and all of his men, with half a dozen others from Foxwood and Pitchfield, had entered the five-year-old gate and were coming up the cart track that led to the farm. They were all carrying sticks, except Jones, who was marching ahead with a gun in his hands. Obviously, they were going to attempt to recapture the farm. This had been long expected, and all preparations had been made. Snowball, who had studied an old book of Julius Caesar's campage, campaigns, bah, which he had found in the farmhouse, was in charge of the defensive operations. He gave his orders quickly, and in a couple of minutes, every animal was at his post. As the human beings approached the farm building, Snowball launched his first attack. All the pigeons, to the number of 35, flew to and fro over the men's heads and muted upon them from midair. While the men were dealing with this, the geese, who had been hiding behind the hedge, rushed out and pecked viciously at the calves of their legs. Jesus Christ, this is a long sentence. Okay, your turn. However, this was only a light skirmishing maneuver intended to create a little disorder. And the men easily drove the geese off with their sticks. Snowball now launched his second line of attack. Muriel, is that you say? Muriel. Muriel, Benjamin, and all the sheep with 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 Snowball had heard at, at the head of the ugh, head of them rushed forward and prodded and butted the men from every side, while Benjamin turned around and lashed at them with his small hooves. But once again, the men with their sticks and and their hobnail boots were too strong for them, and suddenly at a squeal from Snowball, which was the signal for retreat, all the animals returned and fled through the gateway into the yard. The men gave a shout of triumph. They saw as they imagined their enemies in flight, and they rushed after them in disorder. This was just what Snowball, Snowball had intended. As soon as they were well inside the yard, the three horses, three cows, and the rest of the pigs who had been laying in ambush in the crow shed suddenly emerged from their rear, cutting them off. Snowball now gave the signal for the charge. He himself dashed straight for Jones. Jones saw him coming, raised his gun, and fired. The pelts scored bloody streaks along Snowball's back, and she dropped dead. Without halting for an instant, Snowball flung his, flung his 15th stone against Jones' legs. Jones hurled, was hurled into a pile of dung, and he threw, and his gun flew, from, flew out of his hands. But the most terrifying spectacle of all was Boxer, rearing up his hind legs and striking out with his great iron hooks, iron shod hooves like a stallion. His very first blow took, took a stable lad from Foxwood on, on the skull and stretched him lifeless in the mud. At the sight, several men dropped, dropped their sticks and tried to run. Panic overtook them, and the next moment, all of the animals together were chasing them around, chasing them around and around the yard. They were gored, kicked, bitten, trampled on. There was not an animal on the farm that didn't take vengeance on them after his own fashion. 
evening, the cat suddenly leaped off the roof onto Calvin's shoulders and sank her claws into his neck, at which he yelled horribly. At a moment when the opening was clear, the men were glad, were glad enough to rush out of the yard and make the bolt for the main road. And so within, within th- five minutes of their invasion, they were anonymous retreat by the same way they had come. A flock of geese hissing after them and pecking, and pecking at their cows all the way. All the men were on their gone except one. Back in the yard, Boxer was pawing with his hoof at the stable lad who faced down the mud trying to turn him over. The boy did not stir. He is dead, said Boxer sorrowfully. I had no intention of doing that. I forgot I was wearing iron shoes. Who will believe that I did not do this on purpose? No, no dimitality, comrade, cried Snowball from whose wounds the blood was still dripping. War is war. The only, the only good human being is a dead one. I have no wish to take life or even, or even human life, repeated Boxer and his eyes were full of tears. Where is Molly? exclaimed somebody. Only an effect was missing. For a moment there was there was great alarm. It was fear that men might have harmed her somewhere or carried her off with them. In the end, however, she was found hiding in her stall with her head buried among the hay of the, in the, in the, in the manager. She had taken to fly as soon as the gun went off. And when the others came back from the, came back looking for her, it was to find that the stable lad, who in fact was only stunned, had already recovered and, ma- and made off. The animals had now reassembled in the wildest excitement, each recounting his own exploits in battle at the top of his voice. An impromptu celebration of victory was held immediately. The flag was run up. The beast of England was sung at, was sung a number of times. Then the sheep who had been killed was given a solemn funeral. A hawthorn bush being fired on the grave. At the gravesite, Snow gave, made a little speech, emphasizing the need for all animals to be ready to die for animal fight if need be. Animals decided and anonymously to create a military decoration. Animal Hero First Class, which was a conferred and then on Snowball and Boxer, a consisted of brass metal. There were they were really some old horse brasses, which which had been found in the harness harness room. To be worn on Sundays and holidays. There was also Animal Hero Second Class, which was conferred posthumously on the dead sheep. There was much discussion to as to what the battle should should be called. In the end, it was named the Battle of Cowshed, since that was where the ambush had been sprung. Mr. Jones's gun had been found lying in the mud. It was known that there was a supply of cartridges in the farmhouse. It was decided to set the gun up at the foot of the flagstaff like a piece of artillery and to fire twice a year. Once on October the 12th, 
the anniversary of the Battle of Cowshed and was a midsummer day, the anniversary 